0: We still get the daily newspaper at our house. How quaint you're thinking. Our newspaper still publishes advice columns like Dear Abby, which I often glance at. It's surprising, or maybe it's not surprising, how often the advice people are seeking has to do with strained or broken relationships. Marriages, families, friendships are disrupted or outright ruptured by people giving offense or taking offense at others. Is there any way to restore broken relationships? Yes, there is. It's called reconciliation. And that's the spiritual discipline we're looking at today on Groundwork. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork,
1: where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose.
0: And I'm Dave Bast. And Scott, now we're approaching the end. Uh, We have one more program to go yet in this series but a second series on the spiritual disciplines. And so we've already covered some of the real basic ones that come to mind like fasting and prayer and keeping the Sabbath. And in this second series, we've been sort of looking at things that people might not especially think of as spiritual disciplines, and
1: nevertheless they are. Yeah. One thing we may not think is discipline, although maybe this one's a little easier to see as a discipline because it so clearly requires overt work, and that is what you said in the introduction, Dave, reconciliation, to reconcile, uh, to restore a relationship. You hear this word in different circumstances. Sometimes, if uh, in the United States, if uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate pass similar bills, but they're not exactly the same, they have what they call a reconciliation, where they bring the two bills together and they make a match. Right. Um, you hear it more often in court or about divorces, can you reconcile? Can we avoid this divorce? Can right. you two reconcile with each other or enemies and so forth. Even in accounting it comes to mind. Right. As you, reconcile as you mentioned books. that you
0: have to reconcile your figures if they don't uh, add up in the first time. And reconciliation as we think of it scripturally is one of the great works of God. It's one of the things God does. And one of the things that he invites us to imitate him in uh, seeking ourselves. So there's a great passage in 2 Corinthians 5, it's rather famous actually, in the New Testament, that describes God's work this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation.
1: of God. So, indeed, it's from 2 Corinthians 5, a well-known passage. Basically, we're going to be thinking about it in this program that reconciliation has a vertical access and a horizontal one. This one is primarily talking about the vertical one between us and God. Right. I mean, God isn't literally up above us, but we always think that way, right? Uh, so, this is how we get made right with God through Christ who was not sinful but became sin for us, I always think that's an interesting phrase there. We looked at it, I think, in a 2 Corinthians series here on Groundwork. He made Christ sin. Yeah, uh, He became sin for us, and that opened the door to reconcile with God, from whom we were estranged, separate, because of sin.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's another great verse from Colossians 1 where Paul says, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. This kind of universal right. reconciliation by making peace through the blood of Christ's cross. So, yeah, it was a costly act on the part of God. It's one of the fundamental images for salvation itself, our salvation, but also the renewal, the redemption of the creation, the new heavens and the new earth. All of it took place because God took the initiative by coming in the person of Jesus, paying this terrible price that somehow... And nobody has plumbed the depths of this, how the cross actually works, but somehow it accomplished this that needed to be done in order to reunite us uh, with God. So that's vertical reconciliation. And Paul says, we're ambassadors. We're commissioned to proclaim this message.
1: Right. We we are Christ's ambassadors. Nice image, right? The ambassador represents the head of a country, is not the head of the country, but is appointed by a president or a king or a queen, a sovereign to go to another country. And you essentially represent the president or the king or the queen. And that's us. We represent God. And so we call people to become reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. So this is evangelism, essentially. (laughs) It's witnessing and calling people to jump on the bandwagon, join God's program. Right, because it takes two to reconcile.
0: And we're going to pick up that theme a little bit later when we talk about horizontal reconciliation or reconciliation among humans, uh, among ourselves, but it's interesting that Paul says God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, mm-hmm. yeah. which is, as you said, the gospel, Scott. Right. So if we're given to the discipline of reconciliation, it means evangelizing. But the message of reconciliation needs to be accepted. And so Paul goes on to say, therefore, we appeal, be reconciled to God. In other words, accept your acceptance, because if you turn your back
1: on it, You remain unreconciled. Yeah. And Paul in 2 Corinthians uses some other images too. He'll say uh, that we are the aroma of Christ. We're supposed to be appealing. We are like a letter of recommendation (laughs) sent from God to other people. He uses a lot of nice images. But the idea is the same. God has made a path available to come back to the Creator from whom we fell away because of sin, and that path leads through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and through that we are reconciled to God, and we call others to join and believe the gospel so they, too, can have their sins put away and be reconciled to God. That, as we said, Dave, is the vertical access. but what about uh, among one another? Is there a carryover of this to our human relationships? There is, and we'll think about that in just a moment. glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible.
0: You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Scott, today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of reconciliation, a, a work that we're called I think to give ourselves to, there's a reason it's a discipline, it's hard, it's not easy. And we've just been seeing how God is the ultimate reconciler in Christ. He's reconciled us and the world to himself, and uh, he's entrusted to us this work as well. And at the beginning of that passage that we read from 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. That person is part of the new creation. And as new creatures, part of a new creation, there's a new way of life that we have
1: relationally that we're called to. And that's why reconciliation is so important for us to pursue. And in this world, in many situations, for reconciliation to happen, there also has to be peace. Reconciliation would be founded on the fact that there has been some sort of a rupture, some sort of a broken relationship, somebody who's at odds, a friend who has become an enemy or an old longtime enemy. And so even in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, Jesus, one of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so in a world of war— a war of words, sometimes a war of armies, we are called to make peace as the children of God that we have become by becoming that new creation you were just talking about, Dave. We make peace. Everybody wants peace,
0: I think, deep down. uh, We long for peace in a world of conflict. Scott, I'm sure you remember uh, the famous musical by Leonard Bernstein, West Side Story. It's a retelling of the Romeo and Juliet tale of star-crossed lovers, you know, from these different backgrounds and different groups that are at odds. Probably the most famous song in West Side Story is, uh, it's become an American classic, There's a Place for Us. And it includes these lyrics, somewhere a place for us, peace and quiet and open air, hold my hand and we're halfway there, somewhere, somewhere we'll find a new way of living, we'll find a way of forgiving. Somewhere. As Christians, you know, I'd like to say that somewhere is found in Christ. You know, it, it's found in us. Is all we can do just hope for peace and hold hands and wish for someone somewhere to bring us something? No, we're called, in Jesus' words, to be peacemakers. As such, we show ourselves to be the children of God.
1: Yeah. Uh, It reminds me of John Lennon and Yoko Ono, you know, their song, All We Are Saying is Give Peace a Chance. Uh, Well, again, you said that um – Well, the opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker. And usually if somebody is a troublemaker, we usually conclude there's something not right with that person. I mean, nobody should want to thrive on chaos. Nobody should want to thrive on warfare and open hostility. It sometimes seems like we do these days, especially on social media where we're just sniping at each other all the time. But it's not a pleasant way to live. But right, Leonard Bernstein, you know, somewhere there's peace. Or give peace a chance, John Lennon. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, again, Dave, Christians think we have a road map. We think we have a model to follow, and that is Jesus. So, if we're going to be a peacemaker, what does it mean? What do we have to do?
0: Well, I think one thing you have to do, aside from deciding you want to commit yourself to this, is recognize that there's going to be a price to pay. Because peacemakers, uh, mediators, reconcilers, those who step in between two sparring groups or two uh, at-odds people are often going to get it from either side or both sides at once. I think of two of the great peacemakers of the 20th century, uh, the late 20th century, the Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and the Egyptian Prime Minister Anwar Sadat, each was assassinated and in each case by hotheads or, or radicals uh, from his own people. So we need to recognize, again, Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker. What did it take for him? What right. did it lead
1: him? Yeah, look where he ended up. Yeah, if you're going to step into the middle of a conflict, right? And Jesus, by the way, is also uh, called our mediator, and that is exactly what a mediator does. A mediator steps into the middle of conflict and, right, usually gets shot at from both sides for a while, right, before the reconciliation is finished. The one who would be a mediator, a reconciler, is probably going to make enemies of both parties, for at least for a while, and maybe eventually old hostilities will go away. But if you love peace, and I think that's one thing we want to say, if you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to be a peace lover first. You have to really, really be committed to it. We just said nobody likes a troublemaker because they don't seem to love peace very much. They seem to like it when people are at odds and are mixing it up and, you know, getting down in the mud. But we have to love peace. If we do love peace, Dave, I think another implication of being a peacemaker is that you're going to be committed to some level of justice. We've done a whole series on justice uh, here on Groundwork, but justice is often the cornerstone of peace.
0: Right. If you're asking, what does it take to be a peacemaker? We could say courage because it it could be dangerous. It could be risky. Wisdom would be another thing I think that's really required or demanded. Because as you point out, Scott, you know, there's a phrase, no justice, no peace. N-O justice, N-O peace. And you can also say K-N-O-W justice and K-N-O-W peace. So... Peace is not appeasement. Peace is not giving everything to one side and nothing to the other. Peace is is not going to be achieved by failing to recognize the claims that sometimes need to be made and sometimes need to be asserted. And so uh, sometimes we have to go to war to, to achieve peace as nations. Certainly that was the case in World War II. So great wisdom is required, too, if we're going to give ourselves to this discipline.
1: And I think today that we we recognize that peace is ultimately tied – to uh, that key Hebrew word shalom. And by the way, in our final program in this series on fellowship, uh, we're going to see some real connections here. We can't have fellowship uh, as a Christian community or as a world without uh, having it built on reconciliation, but it, shalom takes a lot of work. As we've said before, Neil Planiga has pointed out that shalom is the, the mutual webbing together of all creatures and all people into mutually edifying relationships. Everybody builds up everybody else. Well, that takes a lot of work to do that if we're going to have a full orbed shalom it's going to involve a lot of work in a lot of areas it could involve creation care right. taking care of uh, it'll involve fighting poverty getting clean drinking water to people making medical care available and vaccines available and Peacemaking is work.
0: Yeah. You you know, we're talking about reconciliation among people. But what about reconciliation with the creation that uh, has been abused and polluted? So, yeah, there's a a fullness to this work. And uh, much is demanded. But, you know, so far we've been kind of talking big picture and mediating and conflicts between nations and statesmen, politicians who might have a role in peacemaking. But what about us? And let's come right down to the personal level. What do I do when I've offended someone or someone has offended me when I'm in a broken or ruptured relationship? What does Jesus call me to do? That's what we want to talk about next. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an
1: in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork and this sixth program in a seven-part series on various spiritual disciplines. And today, the discipline of reconciliation, of making peace, of bringing together two parties that have become estranged from each other. We said, Dave, that this begins with our being reconciled to God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That work was done through the cross. But that vertical dimension, our connection to God, then spills over onto the horizontal plane of our lives. And we thought a lot about uh, peacemaking almost in more global terms in the uh, middle of this program. But now as we close it, let's get personal. Let's bring it down to the level of the church and of what has to happen there.
0: Right. And we've said already, we've hinted at the final program in this series on fellowship. The church is meant to be a fellowship of people who are reconciled to God and to one another. Well, is your church always like that? Is my church always like that? Sadly, no. Instead, the church also can be a place, even a source of conflict, interpersonal conflict. And Jesus knew that. Jesus, of course had something to say to his followers about that. Listen to this passage, for example, from Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, "'Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift.' Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison and you won't get out, Jesus says, till you've paid the last
1: penny. So some very practical pointed advice. Nicholas Wolterstorff has often said that worship in the absence of justice is nauseating to God. And here on a more personal level, uh, Jesus is saying that worship While you are willfully not reconciled with somebody that you must have hurt because somebody has something against you and let's assume it's something legitimate and you haven't tried to fix that, well, then you should do that before you keep trying to worship because otherwise there's, you know, maybe something false. Now, I think we should say there are certain relationships in life that we can't fix sometimes we were at odds with someone who dies before we have a chance to apologize or sometimes people just tell us to you know take our apology and you know put it away because i don't want to hear it i don't want to talk to you so it's not as though you can never ever worship again the point jesus is making is you, you got to try yeah uh, you, you there's got to be the effort and many times it's going to be successful but if you've hurt somebody Go and apologize, and then now uh, with a you know a good conscience, we can keep worshiping.
0: It's definitely in the context of worship that Jesus sets this example, this um, possible situation that he he suggests, because he says, you know, you're standing there with your offering in your hand. That, that's clearly a scene in the temple right. where the worshipper is bringing perhaps a thank offering. We'll talk about that in the next program. But all of a sudden they remember, yeah, oh, my brother-in-law's not talking to me because I made him so mad when I did that one thing or didn't do that one thing. Or so it's as though Jesus is saying, you stand to sing the first hymn uh, in the service, and all of a sudden that pops back into your mind, that broken relationship. What do you do about it? And Jesus suggests you don't literally have to walk out of church maybe uh, then and there and get on the phone. But he says, in effect, don't just let it sit there. Don't forget about it. Don't dismiss it. You go. And there's another situation he suggests when the same thing
1: needs to be done. Now we jump ahead to Matthew 18, well-known chapter. Here uh, is you are the offended one. You're not the offender, but you have been sinned against. If another member of the church sins against you, Jesus says, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone if the member listens to you, you've regained that one. If you're not listened to, well, then next time take two others along with you. And if they don't even listen to them, well, then tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So – try your best to convince people. And this is sort of been seen as a blueprint, almost, Dave, for how to handle these things in the church. We should point out here that the use of the word church here is a bit of an anachronism. There was no church yet when Jesus spoke these words, so Matthew probably inserted that to apply what Jesus did say. But you gotta gotta try. And if they will not listen just to you, just keep it private first, right? But then widen it and widen it. But what I've always liked about this passage Dave is, at the end, it says, Well, now, if you won't even listen to the church, then you treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. And a lot of times when we read that, we think, So then that's done, right? We're done with them. No. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? They were yeah. always the first pre- So it's just sort of like. Still love hit, them. Hit yeah. repeat. Yeah, hit, yeah, repeat. hit repeat. And
0: uh, by the way, how do you treat Gentiles if you're an ambassador of Christ? You share the message of reconciliation exactly. again. But what I find so interesting, and I've long thought this, Scott, for years and years, as a pastor, especially, you might be called to mediate. Uh, maybe it's a marriage or some other situation where there's a problem among people. Or if it's you yourself,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether you've been offended or whether you've done the offending, Jesus says the same thing you go. Those two words, you go. So often, you know, we'll hear somebody say, or we'll think ourselves, well, it's up to them to make the first move, right. because they're the one, they're in the wrong. You know, I, I'm not going to say anything to them. I'll never speak to them again until they come and apologize. No, Jesus says, you go, and uh, that's where reconciliation becomes a discipline, and where it becomes hard, because I'm stubborn and I'm proud, and I don't want to have to swallow that and go you know, maybe get abused uh,
1: again, but Jesus says, quite simply, you go. Right. And to bring this full circle, Dave, our reconciling with one another, our engaging this as a spiritual discipline um, with our fellow church members or our friends or our coworkers, or our family is founded on Jesus having done that between us and God, and as many of us know, right after that passage we just read Matthew eighteen, there's the parable of the unmerciful servant, a man who was, you know, forgiven a debt of a billion dollars, who then goes out and chokes somebody for fifty cents he owed him and threw him into prison. The point of that parable being, of course, it's a hyperbole, right? it's an exaggeration, but the point being, God already forgave you an incalculable sum how petty of us then to turn around and make life miserable for others for vastly less important matters. As God has done, so you go do. Um, That's the idea. This is the family style of God. If we are children of God as peacemakers, as we saw in Matthew 5 earlier in the program, then this is what we do.
0: Yeah. And let's maybe give the last word to Jesus and also from the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the just and the unjust and sends his rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly
1: Father is perfect. And that is the discipline we try to pursue through reconciliation. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Dave Bast. And we hope you'll join us again next time as we study the scriptures better to understand the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com, share what groundwork means to you and what you would like to hear discussed next on groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe
0: Ministries. Visit ministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.